Good morning, folks. This is Kate Mack coming at you from my hometown, Toronto, Nova Scotia. And that was just Leonard Cohen you heard singing a song he wrote from 1992 called Democracy. Um, you know, I, I'm just home for the weekend uh, with my family, um, my mom for Thanksgiving weekend. And, um, you know, I just wanted to start with that tune because it's got so much energy and so many relevant themes of our times woven into the lyrics you know from the sirens night and day from the fires of the homeless from the wells of disappointment where the women kneel to pray past the reefs of greed through the squalls of hate sail on sail on ah the song is so great Um, I was listening to Cohen's album last week on a run through the city and I heard it and I thought, yeah, this is a good song. Like, and it's so relevant for the times. I keep saying that, um, you know, like people are fighting to be heard, uh, so much right now. And there are so many people living on the streets in North America right now. And it's heartbreaking. Um, so you'll, you'll have to excuse my raspy voice this morning. I'm recovering from a cold <laughs> and I talk all day at work, so I probably sound a little different than I regularly do. But, um, so yeah, Cohen, he's such a great artist and has so many songs about humanity and the less attractive aspects of the system, to put it mildly. And um, you know, I love all of his music and poetry for so many reasons. And you know, he's a very deep thinker and wasn't afraid to tell it like it is and turn his ideas into beautiful music. And, you know, ultimately, he was never afraid to bring democracy to its knees and point out the flaws within it. And when he was explaining the premises of his song, Democracy, he said, the, quote, the irony of America, i.e. democracy, is transcendent in the song it's not an ironic song. It's not, it's a song of deep intimacy and affirmation of the experiment of democracy in this country, end quote. Now, I really like how he referred to democracy as an experiment in that interview, you know, because it's a good reminder to us all that it is in fact just that, an experiment. It's not an established order or a theory. It's an experiment that we need to examine and agree agree upon as a group of citizens. And lately, I've been making so many connections to this literature I've been reading for a course I'm taking. Now, much of it discusses the importance on reflecting on the past to make sense of the present, present and make good decisions moving forward. And it basically points out that if we're not questioning the design of our economy that was created and designed long ago, you know, or if we're, if we're not sitting around and talking about what's not working anymore and what we can do about it as a group of people, we more or less stop evolving as a human species and democracy becomes less relevant in the process. Um, it's on my mind, as you all know. <laughs> um, so. So I'm going to sidebar here a bit and talk about Marilyn Waring. 
She's one of my heroes who began questioning the system as one of the first and youngest female members of New Zealand's parliament in the 70s. And she basically drew attention to the limitations of the economic system in place. And she ridiculed it because it's, it's got a very narrow definition of what's considered work. In her documentary, Who's Counting, she provides examples of important work that takes place behind the scenes, and particularly women's work in rearing children at home. I don't go, don't get me wrong, guys. Um, things have changed since the documentary was released, and I know some couples who share household duties, and men who have stayed at home to take care of the household while their partner works. And I applaud you, applaud you for that. Um, but you know, it's a good message because in her documentary, because she basically talks about important forms of labor that go unpaid because it doesn't count. It doesn't count as work according to the economic system put in place years ago. As she states, quote, the economics of industrialized countries would collapse if women didn't do the work they do for free. And according to her, this quote, uh, this work, excuse me, quote, uh, generates between 25 and 40% of the gross national product. This is such a great film, guys. It really makes one think. Um, it's very good. Um, so I was saying before, I keep like looking around lately and seeing so much foolishness as an old friend of mine at work used to put it, foolishness, <laughs> because we are so set on doing things the same way. Um, and I suppose fear is a great motivator and, you know, we're all just, just want to get by, like, <laughs> and get through this, you know, like the inflation and, um, but you know, it, it, but change is nothing to be scared of. And I know the theme of this prob podcast probably seems so depressing, like, uh, <laughs> Kate, thanks a lot. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, but there, there are some really great things happening too. Um, so there's some beautiful growth happening too in our society. Like there's, there's definitely a vibe of empowerment in the air and people are waking up and I think people are at least on a subconscious level starting to get that we need to start collaborating to survive as a human species. Um, like I know that kindness goes a lot further these days and, and I also know that people are like, no, not communism, no. <laughs> um, it's, it is true that we are the sums of our experiences and fear can be very generational. You know, um, I remember going to a dinner party when I was 21 and explaining all these ideas about how we can reduce our footprint to some boomers at the table. And they were like, no, it sounds like communism, Kate. No. <laughs> and I don't blame them because when they were little, they had to practice um, air, you know, practice um, going under their desk in case a bomb hit. You know, they were so scared during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, they get it, you know, and it's difficult to figure out what will work, eh? Um, you know, history has shown us the delicate balance of power and how unspeakable things can happen when the wrong person's in charge. Um, but in my experiences, you know, I think there's there's nothing wrong with a little bit of socialism, 
You know, like I'm still trying to figure out exactly who said that. Someone said it. If you guys know, please email me and tell me who said that. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of socialism, right? I remember my roommate at Dell um, saying the same thing too. So her mom must have said that to her too. <laughs> um, so last year in my Christmas episode, I talked about a guy at Harvard, and I know Harvard, like, big deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was a, he had some great ideas on how to fix homelessness. And he said that basically we all need to start collaborating. And he said that, like, everyone needs to get together and agree that we're not going to tolerate people dying on the street. And I really like how he put it. You know, that how we treat other people defines us how we treat each other defines us as a country and he offered some practical solutions too he described how every echelon of society needs to work together to solve this problem and we're talking like private sectors faith-based sectors like the government community volunteers and homeless people too uh, we need everyone on the ground, so to speak. And in fact, I'd like to see a minister role in our government created for the homeless. I was talking to a friend about a program. We were talking about this. We we're like, what are we going to do? How can we solve this? What can we do? And we we're like, they thought of a program that could be funded by Canadians. And those who could contribute could get a tax break. And like, I know what you're thinking. Um, Kate, um, yeah, that's, that's called charity. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking more of a targeted fund specifically for the homeless and all the people and resources uh, that we're going to need to help with this problem. So for example, people could be employed by the government to act as intermediaries to help people who need assistance on the street. And they wouldn't necessarily be employed by the government either. You know, they could be employed by a private franchise. And, you know, these these intermediaries could calmly approach people on the street in a non-judgmental manner and ask them if they need help. You know, if they, they, need, if they need to eat, um, if they need a safe place to sleep for a few nights, and, you know, they could potentially help them. Um help themselves so they can participate and be employed and feel good about themselves. Um, and like people who wanted to after receiving help could also join in and act as intermediaries and get paid for it. Um, there's a lot of really gifted and smart people on the street we don't know about. And obviously some of the caregivers running facilities would be some of them would be like a mix. It'd be like we'd have trained professionals with nurses and doctors. And of course, measures would be taken to ensure people feel safe and are safe in these places. You know, because like, like leaving these cases up to the police is just an inefficient, reactive, and uncompassionate way to deal and help with, help with this problem. You know, like, like police officers really shouldn't be expected to do all that. You know, they're not trained to handle the complexity of the matter. Like, we're, we're talking, like, lack of nutrition, mental health. And um, and you guys are like, okay, okay, what's good? I have a name, <laughs> a temporary name for the paid intermediaries. They could be called candy stripers. 
after the names of volunteers and hospitals who help people. Um, I'm just thinking, guys. I'm honestly just like trying to think about what we can do. Um, like how awesome would it be to just call up a kind organization and say, hey, there's a person sleeping here who needs help and I'm worried. You know, instead of the cop cars coming and the ambulance and, you know, we can do better than that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I really think we need to start questioning the way things are done and we need some outside of the box thinking. We need to invest and stop using band-aid solutions. You know, just because we live in Canada doesn't mean that everything's great. You know, this is a beautiful country and I love this country, but we have so many problems that can be fixed and especially if we put our heads together. So speaking of uh, questioning the status quo and some of the established theories out there, I thought I'd bring up the iconic childhood doll Barbie. Uh, choose Barbie because it's such a big movie this summer. Did you guys see that movie? And um, I know a lot of my colleagues and friends were excited about it and wanted to see it with their kids, and that, that's adorable. Um, I, I personally decided that I didn't want to see it, primarily because she's in the past for me. And, you know, like for me, she was just a doll that I played with and had fun with. And um, to be honest, I'm just not interested in a movie about a toy. <laughs> Um, I was trying to figure out all summer why Barbie was such a huge hit. And I mean, I suppose there's something, something alluring about a fabulously wealthy woman living on her own with no job. (laughs) That's awesome. But I guess people were curious, understandably. And I I certainly could see why kids would want to see the movie. It's fun, right? Um, but witnessing the idolization of this pop culture symbol reminded me of the carbon rod that Homer accidentally got jammed in the spacecraft door so he and the crew could safely return to Earth. In that episode, you know the one when Homer goes to space? <laughs> that that episode kills me every time. Um, you know, after Homer runs into the glass case ant farm with his head and the astronaut loses it and says, Homer, you fool! Now we will never know if ants can be trained to sort small screws in space. <laughs> it's so funny. And like, you know, they've got like James Taylor playing his bittersweet folk rock while they all float up there. It's just, oh, it's too funny. And, and then, of course, when they get back to Earth, they have a big parade to honor this inanimate carbon rod. You know, it's placed on a chair on a float and... Of course, it's on the cover of Time magazine with the caption, In Rod We Trust. <laughs> like, where did the creators of that show get these ideas? So funny. Oh, my goodness. So I started to think of Barbie in that way, you know? Like, why are we honoring a doll? Like, I don't get it. I know I sound like a Debbie Downer. I know, I know, but... I really got this idea that, you know, this summer I just want to leave Barbie where she was in my childhood. And and if you listen to the first episode of my podcast, 
You'll remember I told you a story about a lecture when one of my professors was describing the detrimental impact this doll has on young girls and women. And um, I'm just going to replay the clip for you because uh, a lot of people said they, they enjoyed it. So here it is, the clip from my first show about Barbie. Using facts to revise history, she really got us thinking about pop culture and our society. She was good. You know, but one day in our pop culture course, we started talking about Barbie and how Barbie was detrimental to the mindset of women or girls because it only, you know, showed them what society expected or wanted them to be. So like, you know, with the living pretty Barbie house and the beach house, the Ferrari, the Corvette and the weekend camper, you bet I played with all that. But like, I found the lecture that our professor gave very amusing because like none of what she was saying registered with me at all. Like picture this, okay? Like I had two brothers and lots of male friends in grade two and three who also played Barbie with me. And it, it, it certainly shook things up. I mean, literally one of my friends would come over after school. My One of my guy friends would come over after school and shake the living pretty, living pretty Barbie house and say there was a hurricane. But what was even more interesting where the choices of men Barbie decided to marry. I mean, like, think about it. There's only one Ken doll. One. So in, in Barbie land, you have like 25 different Barbies and one Ken. I mean, like, the Barbies had to branch out a little bit and marry the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so like, Michelangelo was really funny, but Donatello was like kind of funny and really smart. Like, oh, geez, the love triangles that would ensue in Barbie land. And then there'd be like, be like poor Ken roaming around without pants on because we somehow lost them or they were chewed up by our dog Clifford. Like, poor Ken got a lot of flack for not wearing any pants. So I told the professor all of this in the auditorium. I mean, I had to. It was so funny. Everyone, I'm not kidding, everyone started roaring when I told them that including the professor. Like, I said, well, when we play Barbie, we sent Ken to court for not wearing pants. And of, like, and of course, the trial was completely unfair and crooked because all the jury would be Barbies and there was a female judge. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, the poor guy, you know? Like, it really goes to show that generalizing can be dangerous, you know? overlook the individual experiences that children have or go through yeah so yeah yeah so um that's my funny story today um and how you know humor can really help so there you have it when i was a kid i truly brought my own experiences in life to make sense of the world and um when i was playing with barbie and um you know in our family we sent ken to court for not wearing any pants you know <laughs> um so everyone has a different experience and um 
you know, but that's a whole other podcast, you know, the way we learn and bring our personal experiences to con, you know, to, to concepts, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, thanks a lot for listening to my podcast, guys. Um, I'm going to take off here for a Thanksgiving run. The rain has stopped and, um, there's a window of opportunity out there. We've got a nor'easter coming through this weekend. Um, but you know, I was really, um, wanting to get this episode in because I'm making so many connections lately with the literature I've been reading in my course. Um, it's an education course and, um, you know, there's so many creative surges, um, I've been witnessing in our society. Um, and next time I do a podcast, I'm going to discuss the arts and how artists contribute so much to society in reflecting the way people are feeling. And um, it's non, you know, our art has such a non threatening way of getting people thinking. And of course, it ultimately provides an integral channel of communication. Um, so collaboration has been a huge theme in this episode and you know we can learn so much just by listening to each other um, so at the beginning of this episode I played music by a singer who was born in Montreal uh, but I'd like to sign off with a song by a local artist who goes by Ripping Hearts and I chose this one this particular song because I feel like it reinforces the theme of today's show. I was really moved when I first listened to his album a year ago and started watching his videos on YouTube. Now, the, now they're all different and, um, you know, like some of the songs can come across as a little bit unsettling, but at the same time are very beautiful because of that. You know, they're very thought-provoking. And, you know, I found the content of his album so raw and relevant and, you know, it really like forced me and I'm sure it would force others to, to sort of stop and think about the way we're doing things. Um, yeah, so, you know, I watch it, I watch his videos on YouTube often and like I always get something different every time, you know, it's like a great movie, you know, if you watch it um, several times and get something different every time, you know, that's a good movie. That's, that's art. Uh, so yes, his songs have so much substance and, um, you know, but, uh, I have to say like, if you view his films and listen to his music carefully, there's actually a lot of optimism there. Um, he's got this, this beautiful song called shadows and I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'll just let you watch it, find it for yourself on YouTube if you want to. It's it's really pretty, um, and it uh, makes me feel happy when I watch it and listen to the music. And um, before I forget and go off and play this song, uh, I should let you know that Ripping Hearts is releasing a new album in the spring along with some new videos. So, yay! Uh, looking forward to that. So. Again, thank you so much for listening to my episode today. If you have any ideas related to my discussion on homelessness or, you know, just want to say hi, please feel free to give me a shout out at kmcleod39 at gmail.com. So here it is, folks, the Ripping Hearts song 
called Invisible Man from the uh, from the album The Beginning of the End. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. Bye-bye for now. So